The following is presented to you by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. With painful steps and slow, look out for and golden mouths, cause we
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known.
day he'll die to make us sons of God on high. Let every heart prepare him room. The promises have all come true. Tonight we have the opportunity to consider the most marvelous of realities, the reality of the condescension of the Son of God, the one Scripture calls the Word. What is in a word? A word spoken or written is only as valuable as the one who spoke it, but this is a different type of word. John 1, 1 through 2 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Immediately we see this word is not a thing, but a person, the central character in John's Gospel. In fact, the central character of all Scripture. And to understand this character, we must reach back in time. In the very first few words, John harkens us back to the beginning of all things, that which is found in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read that the word existed in at the time of creation, but was not part of the created order. In fact, the original ancient language indicates the word already had been existing before creation. Literally, in the beginning was continuing the word. Here and elsewhere, the word is described with the term I am, not unlike the name Yahweh used for himself with Moses on the great mountain. The word existed without any limits. There was never a time when the Word came into being. The Word is eternally pre-existent. We learn that the Word was with God. Literally translated, the Word was always continually with God. For all eternity, preceding creation, God the Father and God the Son were continually face to face. 1 John 1, 2 states, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The Word was with the Father, but distinct as a person with the essence of God, a person who has eternally been in communion with God the Father. And the Word was God. From the first few words, we realize that this has to be God we are talking about. The Word is eternally God. The idea and concept of the Word would have been significant to both the Greek and Jewish readers of the time. 
but for very different reasons. For some Greek speakers, the word logos was impersonal, just an abstract reason for order in the universe. This idea is where we get the word logic. For others, logos was the creative force behind nature. For others, a source of wisdom. Yet still, for the Jewish people, they would have understood the importance of the word of the Lord as a significant Old Testament theme. Hence, John presented the word as the personification of the Logos. Yet, unlike the Greek idea, this word was not an impersonal force. No, the word became flesh, a solid, living, breathing, walking embodiment of Logos. The word dwelt among us. Thank you. 
darkness, death and life, belief and unbelief, strong contrasts are one of the hallmarks of the Apostle John's writing. But this is not just some literary tool. This describes the reality of the world. In the world was life, meaning that the Word was and is the fountain of life. From Him comes very life itself. You see, this is foundational to our faith. Everything else in creation is becoming. Nothing is unchanging. God alone is eternal and permanent and unchanging. Everything else is becoming, unbecoming, decaying, decomposing, deteriorating, degenerating, declining. Everything, except God, except the Word. Now being is eternal, but becoming is temporary. Being is the eternal source for what is becoming. The Word embodies life. The author of Hebrews would write that this word upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is real power and real authority. We cannot move, live, or have our being without the word. Yet the word is not dependent on any external source, person, or thing. This is the definition of self-existence. Not only is the word the source of life, but he is the beacon of light to the world. Light is powerful, particularly in a completely dark place, like a cave or a cavern. John 1, 4 and 5 tells us, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word came to a world that is characterized by darkness, not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. A world that loves the darkness rather than the light, because its works are evil. A world that would rather worship the creature rather than the creator. A world that is following after the enemy. This is the lost and dying world. The world into which the true light came, announced by a myriad of joyful angels, praising God. As the prophets spoke of old, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone, a light has shone. John 1.9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This light is so brilliant, 
so glorious, so illustrious, that even the cloud of death cannot extinguish it. This light will be lifted and will draw all men to himself to answer that call to leave behind the darkness and walk into the light. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He truly is a light of revelation to the nations of the world. Where light goes, darkness cannot stay. Christ, whose glory fills the skies, Christ, the everlasting light, sign of righteousness, arise and triumph for these chains of
Christ whose glory fills the skies, Christ the everlasting light, Son of righteousness, arise and triumph for these shades of Well, it has been um, a wonderful uh, time already, just in song and in music. There's actually lots more to come, so don't be afraid. There's much more music and much more talented people for you to hear from in just a few moments. We are uh, glad that you're here tonight, and uh, our sole focus of this evening, unapologetically and unashamedly, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we do something like this. That's why we invite you to come and uh, participate and watch and worship with us. It's not to put on a show. It's not to have a performance. It's really not to leave here and say, well, wow, that was a great evening of music and worship. We hope it is that, and we hope you'll be encouraged in that way. But ultimately, our focus tonight is Christ and Without any shame, we want to say he is the reason that we are here, and he is the focus of this evening. I want to take just a moment and and kind of focus our hearts. Obviously, most of us understand what, what this is about and why Christ came. We've been telling the story from John's perspective through the Gospel of John, and we've been reading, as you've heard through the narration, from portions of John chapter 1. And I want to focus in for just a few moments on John 1, 1 verses 9 to 13, because there's, there's something incredible about those few verses where we see not only is Christ the light, but we see a couple responses to this light that has come. John 1 verse 9, as you just heard read a few moments ago, says, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. That implies that the world was in darkness. And if you've ever been in a cave, as you just heard a moment ago as well, you know what that darkness is like, and you know what it's like to to be in the pitch black when they go down deep into the cave and they turn the lights off, and you can't see a thing. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It is pitch black. And that's what the world is like. Oh, it looks alive. It looks as if there's life here. And yet, in reality, the world that we live in is a world of complete spiritual darkness. And that's because of the wickedness of the world that we live in. But that's a reflection of the human heart. Psalm 82 verse 5 says, They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. That's speaking of the world. And the world lives this way because of what Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 say. I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding. This is the mind of the person without Christ. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, then you have to understand that your mind is dark. 
as was our minds before we came to Christ. We think we know how the world operates, and yet Paul says our minds are dark. He says in Romans chapter 1, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is the condition of the human heart, a dark heart, a black heart, a heart that is that way because of sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, not generic sin. It's the sin that we engage in because that's our nature. And into that world, into that pitch black spiritual darkness, there's a light. Not many lights. Not all roads lead to heaven. Not all religions get you there. There is one light. And that sole light is Jesus Christ, who has come to shine, as it were, in that spiritual darkness. And you would think, having that as the reality, you would think that the world would celebrate this and they would embrace Christ as the light. You would think that the overarching response of the world that is living in darkness and now there's a light that has come to shine brilliantly and show the way to God and make a way for sinners to be reconciled to God. You would think that the world would embrace that and run to the light and yet that's not what happens. The world sees the light and they run the other way. And in John 1, we see this. We actually see two responses. There's, first of all, rejection and then acceptance. Let me talk to you first about the rejection of the world. Verses 10 and 11 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. This is a staggering statement. He made the world. He made you. He made everything that exists. And you would think that when the creator of the world shows up, the people whom he made would embrace him. And that's not what happened. It says in verse 10, they did not know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people. He came through the line of of the, uh, the people in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation. He came as a Jew. He came to the Jewish people, to Israel. He came to them to redeem them so that they could then be a light to the nations. And yet when he shows up 2,000 years ago on this earth, initially he was somewhat accepted, and yet overall they largely rejected their Messiah. This is the tragedy of tragedies. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. How can this be? What would it be like to not be welcomed in your home? To be told by your family, you're not welcome here anymore, please leave. This is the embrace Christ received when he came to this world. R. Kent Hughes says it this way, think of it, the one who said, let there be light, the one whose love constrained him to shine his saving light through creation and conscience, the one who mercifully sheathed his light in a human body so that he might bring light to men, the one who set aside a special people for himself to be a light to the nations, was rejected. That is sad. I can't think of a more tragic response to the light of the world than that. 
He came to his own and they would not receive him. They rejected him. It's really no different today. This is what most people do. This is what the world does. They see the light and they run the other way because the light exposes darkness and the wickedness of the human heart does not want to be exposed. We love our sin. And so the response that Jesus received when he entered this world 2,000 years ago is essentially the same response that he receives today by the majority of the world. And I would say as well that if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ and you continue to reject him, then you don't understand what Christmas is all about. Or you might celebrate Christmas. But to reject the focus of the season is to miss the entire spirit of Christmas. That is the tragedy of tragedies. And if that's you here tonight, and by chance you have found your way here, and you're listening to this music, and you're hearing these words read from the Word of God, and your heart is not gripped, and your soul has not been brought to a point where you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, then, my friend, you are in serious spiritual danger for eternity. And yet there's another response. It is the correct response. Verses 12 and 13 of John 1 say, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here is a striking contrast. He comes, he's rejected by the majority of the world, and yet there are some who see him for who he is. And they receive him. And they receive him by believing in him. A belief that transforms them from the inside out. Not a belief that kind of is a surface level, external, superficial kind of belief. But a genuine heart transforming belief from the inside out. That brings them into a right relationship with Christ. He says to those who do that, two things happen. First of all, they get to become children of God. Adopted. We kind of like adoption in our family. Taking children into a home that were not naturally born into that home and yet given all the blessings, all the privileges, all the joys of being natural born children. That's what happens to someone who receives and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Adopted into God's family. Made his child. And not only that, not only do they get to be made the children of God, John 1 verse 13 says they're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what what happens then in response to the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is adoption into God's family, and then you get the privilege and the blessing of being born again. You are made new. Christ actually regenerates you, and the fruit of that will be your belief. Faith is the fruit of genuine regeneration, and you get to be born again. You have a new heart, a new life. You're transformed from the inside out. You're created a new creation. You are given a new standing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is not by blood, not by will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. This is not a physical rebirth. This is a spiritual rebirth, and this is God's promise to us if we will embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Christmas is about. And so 
As much as we want you to be encouraged by the music tonight and as much as we want you to be blessed by the fellowship afterwards and the narration of Scripture and the incredible musical talent in this church, as much as we want you to be encouraged by that, above and beyond all of that, we want you to know Christ. And if you are here tonight and you don't, your greatest need right now is not a few days off at Christmas. Your greatest need is to embrace and receive Christ and to be adopted into his family and be given a new heart. And you will have the joy of Christ flood your soul knowing that you will never face the wrath of God, ever. And this is as bad as it gets. And death ushers you immediately into the presence of Christ for to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's our prayer for you. If you want to talk more about that, there's people all around that would love to speak with you about that. But that's our passion tonight. And as we continue in the rest of our service, we want that to be the focus. So would you pray with me for just a moment? Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners, to rescue sinners He came not to impress people or create a religion, a movement. He came to actually reconcile sinners to himself. Lord, our prayer is tonight, if there are any here who have never done that, if they're still in their sin, still don't see their need for a Savior, that they would recognize that they're a sinner separated from God, that you sent Christ to be God in human flesh, who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross, who died in our place as our substitute, rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death, and now offers salvation to anyone who will receive him and repent of their sin. We pray for that tonight, Lord, and ask that you would draw some to yourself and that perhaps this Christmas would be the very first Christmas that they can truly celebrate. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Oh, come, all you unfaithful. Come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not
John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we've been learning, it has all been leading up to this point, the capstone truth of the Incarnation, that God came down to earth. This Word is eternal, creator, He's life-giver, light-giver, transcendent, and God himself. And yet we see these words are so instrumental to the Christian faith. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we sing at each Christmas, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Why is this important? God did not send just an emissary down to humanity, uh, you know, a messenger on behalf of himself. He came himself to redeem a people for himself. Without acknowledging Christ's descension down to earth in bodily form, we cannot fully understand the gravity and weight of his death. As mentioned earlier, The term, the Word, carries rich meaning for both Jews and Gentiles. The Word, as introduced in the first verse, the Word, Jesus, is God's final word to mankind. Yet, Christ did not cease to be the eternal Word when he became a man. God is immutable, unchanging. God is an eternal being. Christ entered the human realm and experienced life as it is for those those he created. But he did not lay aside his deity. He was fully God and fully man. Still, the fact that Jesus became flesh, he became like one of us, affirms Jesus' full humanity. Beyond this, we see here Jesus' humility and obedience to the Father in becoming flesh and fulfilling his role all the way to the cross. But not just any human we see that the fullness of the deity of God dwelt in the man that was born under, was born under seemingly suspect circumstances and raised in obscurity by a family that were unimportant. We see the Son of God came not on the floating chariots of fire nor in the general pomp and circumstance, but rather he came under a humble state of affairs. The word God incarnate, stepped down into time to walk about as a human being, 
and the Word, God, Jesus Christ, dwelt among us. The term dwelt among us literally means pitched his tent, or to live in a tent. Christ came and pitched his tent among humanity. Pitching his tent among us meant taking on all the frailties of mortal existence, all the burdens and mundane parts of our human existence, no matter how deep or how trivial. Hebrews 2.14 states, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Christ partook in the same things of the flesh and the blood. The Greek word for partook means to participate in, share or to have a share of, or being a member of. This is an allusion to God dwelling among the Israelites in the tabernacle. God manifested his presence to his people in the tabernacle and the temple. And now God takes up his residence among his people as the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Christ fulfills the Old Testament symbolism for God's dwelling with man in the tabernacle and the temple. Even throughout eternity, we see that God will continue to tent among his people. Redeemer brought the king who held the stars, lay helpless in a maiden's arms and pressed against her heart. While sheep and cattle raised their voice, the babe could speak no words. The ever flowing spring of joy had come to share our thoughts. Crown C. 
John 1.18 No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God, the only true God, maker of heaven and earth, is revealed most through his Son, Jesus Christ, the living Word who became flesh. This is God's grace to the world. God has been the one taking initiative and stepping down from eternity sending his beloved son into the world to provide a light into a dark place. In the person of Jesus Christ, God was made visible with a clarity never seen or known previously. He is the image of the invisible God. In the Old Testament, Moses was not allowed to see God himself, but only the afterglow of the divine glory. Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord so terrifying, so vivid, so close to the real thing, that even though it was just the hem of the Lord's garment that filled the temple, that he would cry, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Throughout the Old Testament, the assumption is that the glory of God cannot be seen, or a sinful human would die instantly. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father. God did not have to make himself known in this way. 
God could have revealed himself only at the judgment, when all of men would melt like wax before him. But God chose to reveal himself through his Son, who came not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent not simply a messenger to bring the news of repentance. He sent himself. The word became flesh. God initiated coming to the man, to coming to earth in the form of a man, a lowly man, a man of sorrows, who bore our griefs and carried our shame. This, this is the glory of the incarnation of Christ. This is the story of Christmas, that God has dwelt among us. Please sing with us. Joyful 
I heard that. What a great evening. What a privilege it has been to gather together tonight and celebrate our, our Savior. Thank you for coming. We do have a reception down in our lower level, our South Sanctuary. We want you to come and just spend some time fellowshipping with one another, kind of celebrating this event and this evening and encouraging one another with the things of the Lord. Let me just close by reading from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. You may blow your candles out, and please join us down in the South Sanctuary. You're dismissed. listening to a presentation from Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan. No part of this recording may be edited or distributed without prior written consent. For more information, go to mbcmi.org.